Today we're going to be looking at uh, God's love for everyone. And I want to focus today on 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Paul is talking to a young man who he's raised up to become a pastor. They've seen within the church that he's got some of the giftings and the heart to, to plant a church and to lead a church. And he says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and, all for, the, and for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Verse 3, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the endeavors that we have here, a local church, Portview, of just communicating your great love around the world. And I thank you that we all can play our part, that we all can bind together as a family and do great things for you, Lord God, even if it is just one step at a time. But Lord God, guide us. Open our hearts to you today. Maybe you're asking something unique of us today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up in a, in a church. Some of you may have. How many of you say, I grew up in a church? Raise your hand. Okay. Very cool. Welcome to the party. I grew up in the church, so I had this, this knowledge of God, this knowledge of Jesus that was kind of handed down to me from my parents, from uh, the children's program in the church. But I, I don't know if there was ever a time in my childhood, I, I think there were times in which I wanted to follow Jesus, but it was more of a cultural experience for me of just being part of that family and being part of the church. But it wasn't until I was probably 15 or 16 years old, I'd lived kind of an independent life for my parents that my parents didn't know of, you know, this, uh, I guess it would call a rebellious period in my life. If my parents knew how I had lived, they would have been disappointed, which is actually rather fun as I'm older and I'm in my 40s and 50s to inform them of all the things that we did now. Uh, they, don't, they don't get as upset as when I was a kid. But I remember I, I was 15 or 16 years old, and, and I remember that the knowledge of what Jesus had done for me and his love for me just went from my head and it hit my heart. Right, I, I, And I wasn't in a church service, and there wasn't an organ playing, and there wasn't what we would normally call a response time where people could come forward and pray. It wasn't anything like that. I was in my bedroom. I was all by myself. And I just sensed that in that moment, I needed to accept his love. I needed to say yes to it. And, and I'd heard enough messages along the way to know that connected with that was a repentance that said, I'm going to turn from my way, and I'm going to turn to follow you. And, and I can remember that day. And the big thing was that I, I felt like I needed to tell my parents, which for most teenagers, that's really scary because then they kind of raise the expectations of you, right? I'm always nervous about raised expectations at that age. But I told my parents, my dad bought me a Bible, right? And uh, he, he put my name on it, and he put a date in the upper corner of that. Who steals a Bible? Bible was, interestingly enough, when I was 17, got stolen out of my, my car. Who steals a Bible? 
<laughs> right? It's a whole sermon unto itself. But that day came to signify something to me. It was a day, and we see a lot of verbiage, what we would call it internal vocabulary that we have in a church. We would say that that was the day I got saved. Jesus used language like that. Paul uses it here. I was born again. I received new life. In fact, at one point, we see the scripture tell us that the old is gone and the new has come in my life. And it's interesting because I'm talking to a lot of people with shared experiences. Some of you are here today and you can remember back to a day in your life, maybe not much unlike mine, Maybe it was in a church service, or maybe it was in a tree stand hunting a deer. I don't know where God started speaking to your heart, but, but many of you are here today because a moment in time when you said yes to the love of God, and you accepted him and his grace that was free for us just simply by faith. And, and it made a difference in our life. So some of you are here today because there's a date that you remember. Maybe you don't have it written down in your Bible. Like maybe some of you have that. How many of you have the Bible with a date written in it today? You got it? Okay. Some of you, you got the date. That's really cool. Mine's in a Bible in somebody's house right now. <laughs> some of you are here today, you don't have a date. Uh, maybe you grew up in the church and there wasn't a day that you're like, that was a day for me. It was more progressive for you. Your faith kind of happened over time. And you sit here today and you say, I know that I know deep down in my knower that I am a follower of Jesus and he has transformed my life. I am born again. I'm saved. But I don't have this date I can write down. And some of you are here today and you're just kind of on this journey of trying to figure it out. Saying, okay, is there a God and what's he like? In fact, Plato, some 400 years before Jesus in one of his writings, says, man is a being in search of meaning. Later, it will be attributed to him that says, an unexamined life is not worth living. Some of you are here today because you're on that journey of examining life and saying, what is the significance of all this? Well, what significance is, we find just from Paul's writing to Timothy saying that he really desires that everybody has an opportunity to hear and experience what we call the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross so we might know him and be saved from and into, from separation from him eternally and into new life eternally in him. And some of you are waiting for eternity. I'm a firm believer as I read the scriptures that when I was 15 or 16 years old and I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, my eternity started right there. Now this whole body thing is going to go away. But our new life starts there. God is in this process in our lives of drawing us into a deeper relationship where we are willing to take what he's given us and give it to somebody else. Interestingly enough, he's asked us to share in the experience of telling other people. He's got this great plan of communicating the gospel to all people. He wants us to be a part of it. I don't know about you, but planning is not one of my fortes. It's not what I'm good at. But God is really good at it. 
And God desires us to be a part of that plan. His working model to let everybody know is us. Now, I'm not good with plans. My wife sends me to the grocery store with a list. I've got a tangible list in my hand. I actually like going to the grocery store here. In Ukraine, it was a battleground, right? Here, it's kind of peaceful. Music's playing in the background. It's really nice, right? I will go there with a list and inevitably every time come back with something missing. Anybody else? Is it just me? Is it just okay? And Christine's like, is it on the list? And I'll pull out the list. It's on the list, But somewhere along the way, I've missed it. So I don't see, but his plan incorporates me. Is that really a good idea? But his plan incorporates us in his process. I mean, why can't he just, like, give a dream to everybody around the world? Go to bed, lay down, Jesus comes. I had that about a year ago. I, I meet with a guy every single week. Many of you have heard about my friendship with Ivan. He had a dream, May 7th of 2021. And at that point, God spoke to him, and he went on a search for Jesus and walked into our church. It was a dream. Wouldn't it be great if he can just do a dream with everybody, right? But no, he adds us to the process. I'm going to read two scriptures that are just going to be really important as we talk through this idea of Everybody in the world having access to the good news of Jesus. You may have heard the word gospel. It's basically that same idea of good news. So the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call the gospels. They tell the story of this good news. So two, two very pertinent scriptures. Many of you who have been in the church for a while have heard them before. The first, the Great Commissions of Matthew 28. This is uh, right before Jesus ascends into heaven. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make, all, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then also, Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. I I don't think the you was meant just for those select few. But you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We will be discussing in the next few weeks the power of the Holy Spirit to help us in that process. But today we want to see that God has asked us to bring this message to all nations. We see embedded in these passages the intentions and process of God's plan for all people to have an opportunity to be saved and to know the truth of his love. And and the challenge that we have today is how are we participating in that? How are we as individuals and how are we as the local church doing that? And I can honestly say uh, what one of the things that really drew Christine and I to, to Portview was how passionate you guys are about what happens outside this building right? People who care, people who really do care about this community and people around the world. And it shows in the way you give, it shows in the way that you care and pray. But today I want to look at how are we doing in the mission of God. And the first way in which we live a life on mission with God is to be intentional, to reach our local community, but also every corner of the world with the good news. The local church needs to be a first focus. If we saw the passage that we looked at earlier 
on Acts 1-8, we see Jerusalem was the first place they talked about. This is our Jerusalem. Ozaki County is our Jerusalem. And it's our first place that we represent Jesus Christ. And we do it everywhere we go. Everywhere we walk, everything we do, people are looking at us and we are what Scripture calls a living hope. 1 Peter 1.3 says it this way, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and His great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We see this expanding influence in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we need to start in Jerusalem. We need to start in Jerusalem and move out. So we see Jerusalem, Judea, farther out, Samaria, farther out, to the ends of the earth. That the church needs to influence these places. So it would be like Ozaki County, Wisconsin, the United States, and the world is basically what they're saying. The local church should have an ever-growing reach of the love of God. And it starts in our workplace. It starts in our everyday life. It starts however we're living our lives. Our first focus is to our community. And so my question is, and I and honestly, I'm new to the area, but maybe you can start thinking about this. What are the needs of this community and how do we address them? Because I really believe that every community has needs and the local church needs to be there to address those needs. When we were in Ukraine, uh, we had a, 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 an international church that we've been at for 15 years, and it was a dynamic church from people from 40 different countries. It was a lot of fun. Huge need around orphans. What we were experiencing in our community was there was a huge need around orphans. At any given time, there were 60,000 institutionalized orphans in Ukraine. And that was a huge need. And, I, and we felt like this was a local need, and if we did nothing about that, that would be something desperately missing in our church. We're a local church. We have to do something about the orphan issue. And so we had focuses and focus times of different ministries that we did for orphan ministry. It had to happen because it was our local need. What's the local needs of Ozaki County? I don't know if I have an answer for you today, but the local church is God's plan to love and disciple a community. Our responsibility, first and foremost, is here in Ozaki County to communicate it, to disciple, and to live it. Our job is to disciple all of us, not just the church. The second way in which we live on mission with God is to effectively disciple the nations. We create an, uh, an international model of really reaching people groups. We read at the beginning, go into all the world and disciple the nations. That word nation is really based upon this idea of ethnos, which is a people group. And often we think people groups have to do with a, with a border. So it would be like the country of Ukraine or the country of Cambodia or the country of Russia or the country of the United States. But within each country, there's other ethnos, ethnic groups within there. They may be separated by their ethnicity or their language group or just a general uh, geography in which separates them from other people. Their culture might be different from one location to another. And yet our job is to go into these people groups. It's a term that we need to understand that God desires all of these nations, all of these people groups around the world to have access to the gospel. And there's actually uh, really great organizations that are tracking this. There's one called the Joshua Project. You can go online and track it online. And they will, they will delineate for you all the different 
people groups of the world and how they're separated and what gospel representation is there. Our job is to go into these places and contextualize the message or communicate it in a way that they can understand it and they can apply it to their lives. And they can experience the love of God like you and I have in a way that they can understand it. And it takes somebody who can go and communicate it. My wife and I, many of you know, went to Ukraine uh, 2005. Knew nothing. Knew nothing. Had never been there before. Probably not a model that we suggest other people to do. We just kind of showed up with our four-year-olds and went to the city of Odessa and moved in and just started meeting people and started learning the language. And it's a tough language and it's hard. But we had to realize that there are certain things that are so drastically different in Ukraine and Odessa, for that matter, than even the rest of Ukraine than they are here in the United States, even Green Bay, Wisconsin, where we grew up. And until we learned some of those things, we really couldn't even connect with people. For instance, when you go to anybody's house... You bring either flowers or chocolate. It's a beautiful country. <laughs> so and we had people over our house all the time. We had stacks and boxes and boxes of chocolates all the time at our house, right? Just too much to even eat. Um, you know, under the Soviet Union, they really didn't have any access to chocolate at all. So when it opened up, chocolate was everywhere really fast, right? Um, and, and so we had boxes of chocolates and flowers, uh, but here's the thing, there's some there's connections with flowers. Uh, we were just there a few months, and it was my wife's birthday, and I thought, I'm going to get her roses. So anywhere on the street, there's flowers everywhere, right? Because everything market is on the street. And so I went to this old lady, you think old babushka with her you know, scarf over her head and crunched over, all her flowers are waiting there. And, and I went up with my b- broken English, and I said, it's my wife's birthday, and I, 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 want 12, I want 12 roses. And she says, no. I'm like, okay, I know, my, I know my Russian was at least that far. I know I got it right. So I, I'm going through my, my book, right? I'm, I'm struggling through my book. I want to get it right. And, and I did it again. She said, no, no, you can't, no. And she was very angry with me, very upset. And so she says, I'll sell you 13. I'm like, oh, she's upselling. I said, no, I want 12. I want a do- it's an American thing, a dozen roses, right? Here, I'm just going to buy the 13. 13, only 13. All right, so I'm the foreigner here. I'm just going to buy the 13. Later, I, asked, I talked to Arkady and, and a friend of mine, and he's like, oh, yeah, you can only buy odd flowers because even flowers are for funerals. And so if you bring even flowers to someone's home, you're almost bringing death upon the home, right? And so when I said it's my wife's birthday and I'm bringing her 12 flowers, she's like, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Well, how in, the, how in the world can I show up at somebody's house with an even number of flowers in my hand to tell them about the love of Jesus? Uh, you have to contextualize. You have to learn the culture. You have to move into the place and be there to, to communicate the message in a way that people can hear it. So contextualization is important. Also, there are places that are just hard. There's hard places. Uh, one of them, and a term that maybe some of you have heard, is called the 1040 window, which is, is this longitude or latitude? Which one? I need a teacher here. Latitude, longitude. Latitude. Somebody's confident. I'll trust him. It's latitude lines of 1040, right? 
of the world where the majority of the unreached people groups of the world exist today. Uh, of Right now in the world, Joshua Projects defines about 4,750 unreached people groups in the world. Uh, these are people who have less than one believer per thousand ratio, one known believer. So it's not a matter of they haven't chosen, it's they've never even heard the name of Jesus. And of the 4,750-some unreached people groups in the world, 4,500 of them exist in the 1040 window. The majority of them are there. And out of all the, we call them missionaries, that go into these other cultures from around the world, only one out of every 30 go to that place. Even though it's the greatest need, the most difficult work. Why don't they go there? Why don't more missionaries go there? Because it's hard. It's hard. And every single month, I want you to know, there are missionaries that I chose not to tell you about today because I know this is going on the internet, that are meeting in places that are very difficult, that are within that 1040 window. And every single month, this church supports them to be there to plant the church where it doesn't exist. The 1040 window is an area that a peoples that represent about 25% of our world population. Isn't that just, isn't that amazing to you that it is to me that 25% of the world fits within those 4,500 completely unreached people groups that just don't have access to the gospel. And yet Jesus says to you and me, you're my plan to reach them all. That's a, that's a hard call. So what we do is we, we utilize specialists, people who are willing to educate and prepare and go to these places. It's great that the internet is out there. It's great that there are resources that are out there for people. But there are so many places in the world, for instance, that don't even have a written language, only a spoken language. So how does even a person go into that culture and learn a new language? But on the streets, how do you even translate a Bible into the language that doesn't even have a written language at this time? There's huge needs, but we need to utilize specialists to go and be boots on the ground. We incorporate what we call the indigenous church model. Uh, for a few minutes, I'm going to talk a little bit missiology, like why are we doing this? Why, how are we doing? Is there some strategy behind this whole thing? Our goal is what's typically called the indigenous church model, and that is to create a church that is independent. The goal isn't to bring the American church and plop it down in a different culture. It doesn't fit there, right? But the gospel of Jesus Christ fits in every culture. So the first is we try to raise up a self-propagating church. In other words, it is a national church, an indigenous church, a people who are naturally leading other people to the Lord within their group, but also planting churches their own. Also, it's a self-governing group. We often go into these countries and we raise up education, focus on studying the Word of God so people are prepared to teach other passionaries like myself may go into a country and plant other churches that can then lead themselves. So a missionary like myself may go into a country and for a season be leading people to Christ and planting churches, but over time raise up a national church to where they shrink back and then go to a different country, the ideal model. So self-propagating, self-governing, but also self-supporting. 
where it does not need funds from another country in order to do its ministry and to care for their needs of their local communities. They're doing it on their own. And that's the goal of our ministry. It's not to bring... It's not to bring the American church to those other places. It's to bring the gospel and let them lead and guide as they see fit in their national churches. And we utilize a lot of church development models. One is what we just call pioneering. And this is working to establish the first believers among a people group. We have probably three or four different missionary families that are out in the world right now. And the base ministry they're doing is just trying to lead one or two people to the Lord. Right? It's interesting because I've been in a lot, with a lot of missionaries, and we've been at missionary conventions where one guy stands up, and he stands up there, and he says, well, in the last three years, we've planted 70 churches in our country. And everybody, yay, 70 churches, right? And everybody's so excited. And we've, we've trained 130 new pastors. Yay, everybody excited. Yeah, so good. And then the next missionary comes up, and he stands there, and he said, well, in the last four years... I think we led two people to Jesus. We're kind of nervous right now, so we'll see. And everybody's like, whoa. But you have to understand context. Some of them are going in some of the most difficult places in the world where, where to even preach the gospel is not even allowed, right? And so it's apples and oranges. So some places we're pioneering and we're starting out new. And then we transition the church as the church and grows into a kind of a parenting where we're teaching young believers to grow in leadership, plant new churches among their people group. So we transition to what it means to be missionary. Then we go into a partnering model where we're working peer-to-peer, where, where more of the missionary is supporting the, the national pastor to lead, and finally to simply participate where we resource. And we can th- see some countries in the world, they're very independent. Do you know right now they're in, in the country of China the, the number of people that are getting saved is an amazing number. It is higher than the birth rate. Do you know that's the only country in the world that that's happening? So, I mean, if some of you are really good at math, right? You understand the great need is still there. But we have very few missionaries in China. Because the national church is raising up, and now we're just resourcing So God is doing amazing things that we can be a part of strategically to be the kingdom around the world. But today I want to talk about how we here at Portview are playing our part. Now, uh, Pastor Mark has been telling me that I need to use the buckets. How many of you have seen the buckets before? Anybody raise your hand up proud. I've seen the buckets. All right, somebody want to preach this for me? No? I love the bucket model. I've been in a lot of churches. They all talk the bucket model. It's great. And we do the bucket model here at Portview, and that is financially. A portion of what we talk about in missions is finances, and we're not a church that bangs that drum. This is one of the most generous churches that I've been a part of. I've seen a lot of books at a lot of churches over the years. This is a generous church. Did you know? I mean, look how big this room is right now. Look around at the people that are here. This church, just to kingdom builders, which is ministries to care for people outside of the room. So we'll call it this bucket. Kingdom builders last year gave over $100,000. This room, above and beyond the local church tithe. 
the local church tithe came in and blessed us to be able to do the facility and to care for our Jerusalem right here, right? To, to have staff and to, to pay the bills and to, to do the ministry stuff that comes all in the local church. So you've given to that and been so generous to that. But then in another 100,000 has come into Kingdom Builders and now the little buckets. And it's broken down into everywhere. Do you know that, I didn't find one, but Mark had mo- Pastor Mark had most of these written on with different people, different names. But we had our own bucket last year to raise up National Church, Paul and Christine, every single month. And we were able to raise up National Church planters all over Ukraine. We were able to pastor that church. We were one of them. Next week, Teen Challenge is coming. It's a ministry right down the street to people with life-controlling addictions. And a portion of all the Kingdom Builders goes to, goes to Teen Challenge every single month. We have ministries all across. Pastor, Pastor Mitch, two to three dozen? We're three dozen, right? Three dozen different cans outside this building that you're already giving to that we're trying to say we want to be strategic but we also want to meet the urgent needs. See, it's important for us to be strategic in reaching the unreached people groups around the world. Can we put the 1040 window back up again? We want to be strategic in making sure that these people are going to these places. These are strategic places, and Kingdom Builders gives those strategic needs. Why? Because when there's a need in that community, we want there to be a local church there, discipling people and caring for their needs. But when there isn't, there's occasion when there's an urgent need. This Ukraine project that we're doing, it's an urgent need. It's something that comes right now. It's here, and we can respond to it. Kingdom builders can be there to respond to it right now with the need that's there. I was talking to Pastor Benjamin last week. Many of you know he's the individual who is going to be receiving He's going to be receiving these uh, goods when we get there, and he's going to be distributing them. And I said, you know, are you getting back into Kharkiv? You know, there's a, the, the major conflict now has moved from Mariupol north to, to Kharkiv. A lot of bombing is going on there right now. I said, are you going back to Kharkiv? He says, yes, we'll be bringing in a shipment a week into Kharkiv of food that we can buy, of food that we can go. He said, but in our city, 500 and some thousand people in the city of Cherkasy, 500 or 55,000 IDP internally displaced refugees have moved into their city with nothing. Can you imagine? 55,000 people move into your city with nothing but the, a backpack on. They need to find a place to live. They need to find food to eat. So it's not just a matter of the conflict zone. So there is an urgent need right now, and Kingdom Builder says we're stepping in. We're being a part of it. I'm so thankful for the part that you're playing. I'm so thankful. And it's not a matter that there's one or two big players in the room that are just doing it all. Because so many different people give every single, every single week to the local church, their tithes, their offerings, and so many give to kingdom builders. It's not a matter of, of, of one big giver. It's a matter of equal sacrifice across the area. But it is about supplying the practical needs that are needed. It's about also stepping in and being strategic. I don't know what God's going to do in Ukraine in the season ahead. I don't know what God's going to do in this 1040 window in the season ahead. 
But there are people just like you and me who may have never had the opportunity to hear the name of Jesus. When I sat in my room when I was 15, 16 years old, and I gave my life over to Jesus, it was something that was offered to me in the knowledge of who Jesus is, from my family, from the church. But there's so many people around the world that just don't have access. So it's wonderful, it's wonderful that there are great gifts that we can give. And there's wonderful that we can pray and really make a difference through our prayer. But I'm asking today, maybe, maybe somebody in this room will go. Maybe somebody in this room will say, I will take my life into one of these places. I don't know. It, it was in a service not much like the, different than this in which I made the decision to follow Jesus to another country. I was a young man. I remember our youth pastor's wife. We had all the, 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 the country flags all around the church, and we were hanging them up on the wall. And so they asked me to come in. I was like 17, 18 years old, and we're hanging flags on the wall. And she's going through, and she's got the book, and, uh, the Joshua Project book, and going through each country and telling us a little bit about them as we were climbing up ladders and pinning them to the wall. And he, she's telling me about this country. And she's like, I wonder who's going to go here. And I remember standing at the bottom of the ladder. I said it like flippantly, you know. And I said, I'll go there. And I almost said it like flippantly, you know, like, yeah, I'll go. Yeah, I'll go. But at that moment, I, I felt it like ground in my heart. I'm like, yeah, I'll go. When my wife and I were going through training to leave to go to Ukraine, we're in a class of other individuals, most of them young couples like us, maybe some young individuals, young ladies. Did you know that there's significantly more young ladies on the foreign mission field than young men? I don't know what it is. Girls just have more courage, maybe. I don't know. But we're all with this group, and there was a, a one lady there, the 75 years old, and she said, God called me to Egypt. And at 75 years old, she quit her job as a nurse, I moved to Egypt. So I'm telling you today that, that fun little story because I don't know if you're here today and you're wondering, maybe God will call me to something. Maybe God is asking me to do something today. I don't know. I'd love to give you a bucket, though. <laughs> I'd love for, for Port View to get behind you in prayer and in giving and to see you go to the places that God has called you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to end in a song today. Romans 10, 13 through 15 asks this really poignant question. And it's a poignant question to all of us today. It starts out by Paul saying to that church, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whew. Praise God. We can call on the name of the Lord today. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those 
will bring good news. I'm going to ask you to stand today.